It's remarkably quiet in here, if you think about it. I was just amazed back there. I was hoping it would be, but I thought my hope was an illusion. So is hope an emotion? Is that primarily what it is? I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling hopeless. It is emotion, but it's not just that. Is hope an illusion? When I was in high school, I used to hope I would make it to the gas station. And at least twice, I found out my car doesn't run on hope. Is hope an expression of wishful thinking? I hope I don't get sick. Two weeks ago, in the middle of the night, I woke up with that familiar stomach feeling, and I hope I'm not going to get sick. Hope didn't protect me from stomach flu that night. So feeling hopeful or feeling hopeless, it really can impact our lives just as a feeling because it can change how we approach relationships. It can impact stress in our bodies. Feeling hopeless can make our bodies accumulate stress, and that can impact our health. It can impact our approach to problem solving. If we are feeling hopeful, we tend to do better at problem solving. But the impact of hope as feelings is very limited and ultimately can only take us so far. Biblical hope is an objective reality. It's more like a chair than a, than a feeling. It's independent of our feelings, our moods, our desires. It's grounded on the promises of God, promises that can't be thwarted by any outside force. So again, don't hear me saying that feelings are unimportant. They're key factors in our lives, but they're not the same things as other objective realities. And we're wise to learn to steer our feelings in a direction of the objective realities of God when they try to go off on their own. So if you feel hopeful about a weak bridge, you'll still get wet. If you feel hopeless about a strong bridge, you'll stay dry. So ultimately, it's the strength of the bridge, not how you feel about the bridge, that's going to matter the most. And when hope is overly individualized based on my moods, my desires, my current perspective, it can't sustain the weight of our lives. And it's fascinating to me that humans need hope to thrive and even to survive. Some people say that we're the products of blind, impersonal, evolutionary processes that have been fine-tuning us over millions of years. And why would evolution have developed such a terrible programming error whereby humans need hope to survive and to thrive? Because if what these people say is true, ultimately hope or meaning that transcends our lives is illusion. It's not real. You only think your life matters. In the end, it doesn't. So we need food, water, air. These things exist. They're not feelings. And we need hope. But if it's not real, why is it that we need it to thrive and even to survive? Well, we need hope because we're not products of blind, impersonal chance. We're, the made, we're made in the image of God, and we're designed to live on hope, even as we're designed to live breathing air. And that hope is tied to relationship with the one who's made us. And you can say, well, we're meant to find our own hope. We've evolved to come up with our own meaning. It sounds good, but it doesn't work. I've watched it not work in people's lives. It works for a while until it doesn't. Because hope that doesn't transcend our own minds and hearts is a hope that will be taken from us when that foundation for that hope is gone. We can't fool ourselves forever. And if hope is man-made, eventually we run out of hope. So what hopes do you hold out for this new year? And you can say, are you kidding me? After that beginning, I'm not going to say I might get it wrong. That's not my point. So I want you to think about hope on two levels. Let's call them foundation hope and furniture hope. The foundation for your house needs to be permanent, immovable, unless you're building one of those tiny homes. Then those things move around, but you know what I mean. The foundation for 
a structure like this church needs an immovable permanent foundation. And the furniture in this church or in your house, you can move it around, you can change it. Furniture is important, beds, chairs, tables. You could survive without them, but they're really good and helpful. You probably wouldn't thrive without some kind of furniture. But you can't live for long in a building without a foundation, and time is going to fail. And the foundational hope for our lives is the gospel. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Talking about the gospel. Furniture hopes can be good and helpful, but they're going to change over time. They're going to come to an end in time. Every year we may have different hopes for the next 12 months. These hopes change as we grow, as we age, as we become wiser, maybe as we become more foolish. They change in the wrong direction. They change as our lives change. As our health changes, our circumstances change, people die, move in and out of our lives. Every year, as we contemplate new furniture hopes, we can't lose sight of the foundational hope. That's the hope that sustains us in life and death. It's the hope that all the lesser hopes have to be built on. It's the hope that doesn't change. And the gospel is a hope on which all lesser hopes must be built. So what do you hope for this year? Do you hope for a change in a job, a relationship change, better health? run a half marathon, graduate, different habits. That's great, good things to hope for. But remember, these things are ultimately more like furniture than the foundation. In 2020, in our society, we collectively went through a large-scale upheaval. I was just thinking about this morning how this coming couple of months, it was three years ago already, it's hard to believe, and during that time, we focused on the four pillars of resiliency here at River, and Rodney wrote a song for kids and adults, the Breaky Bouncy song, that's, and we might even break that out this morning, I'm not sure, that speaks to the, I am sure, I'm lying, we're going to definitely break that out. <laughs> and that song speaks to the four pillars, physical, mental, social, and spiritual, and the idea behind the Breaky Bouncy song is that when an egg hits the ground, it breaks. When a ball hits the ground, it bounces, and everyone hits the ground. So resiliency is not about ground avoidance. It's about becoming more bouncy. And this is something we can actually do. We can increase our bounceability. My spell checker kept trying to correct that, by the way. It's not a word. I kept saying, no, leave it there. We can increase our bounceability, but truth be told, we're always going to remain more like eggs and rubber balls. And you can work hard at physical resilience, but you can't by your own efforts simply decide to not become ill or injured or die. You can increase your odds of health, but you can't control all outcomes. The same thing's true with social resilience. You can and you should put forth effort to have good relational habits, but you're limited in, in how much relational health you could have because other people are involved. You say, well, I should just focus on the spiritual. It's all that matters. Well, since we're made by God to be whole beings, how do you propose to separate the spiritual dimension of your life from the mental, physical, and social? Who you are in relationship to God impacts who you are in relationship to others. Who you are in relationship to others impacts who you are in relationship to God. That's clearly true in Scripture. And next week we'll see in James chapter 3 that no one's able to tame the tongue. And the tongue, the mouth, is a part of our physical body that forms words, words that flow from our hearts and minds that can do great harm or good to people. And all this is ultimately, James says, a spiritual problem. Biblically, all four domains of our lives are not distinct categories, not really, the social, the spiritual, the mental, the physical. 
it's helpful to talk about them that way so we can focus on practical application, but they're more like ingredients in a cake. You've got the eggs, the milk, the flour, the sugar. In a recipe, they're separate things, but when they're on the cake, you just have a cake, and we're more like cake than recipe. So to summarize what we have so far, all aspects of who we are interacts with and impacts all the other areas. And we know from Scripture and our own experience, we have limited control over the outcomes of our lives. So how does the fact of having limited control contribute to hope? You would seem like it would diminish hope. If I have very limited control, why should I hope that my choices matter? Because the most important outcome that God has granted us control over is the ability to be found faithful. I decide if I'll be faithful this year. And faithfulness is the right goal for every year in every aspect of our lives. So I, could, I can and I should seek physical fitness at some level, but ultimately we measure physical fitness by scales and mirrors and timers. And if we measure only by fitness goals, physical, relational, social, spiritual, if we only measure by fitness goals, then we're going to measure wrong. I need to seek physical faithfulness, social faithfulness, spiritual faithfulness. It's tied to my foundational hope. It's required that those that have been given a trust must prove faithful. So we should seek relational fitness. It's, good, it's a good goal to have growing healthy relationships with the people God's put in our lives. But what if others, through their choices outside of mine, block my goals of relationship with them? Do I give up? Do I become bitter? Do I become isolated from other people? Well, you have to seek relational faithfulness. It's unblockable by others. Maybe what we would call relational fitness is blockable. Relational faithfulness is not. Bitterness, passivity, isolationism, that's not faithfulness. Same thing with mental, resi mental resilience. We're to pursue thinking patterns that are helpful and healthy. And we all have factors that can make this more or less difficult. But ultimately, we measure by faithfulness, not fitness. Spiritual faithfulness is the same way. So to kick off this year, let's look at the four pillars of resilience with the faithfulness and a fitness perspective because it doesn't have to be either or as long as we realize that fitness is more like furniture and faithfulness is more like foundation. So physical faithfulness. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your physical body is the center of your spiritual, social, mental life. This is important to contemplate because a prevailing Christian heresy has been to make the body into something evil or less important than the spiritual part of it. This is wrong on many fronts. Again, one, because we're not component parts, we're a whole, and the body's not evil. It's where sin in our hearts shows up out here in the world, but the body's not evil. Sin is evil. God's made us embodied beings. He said it was very good when he did that. Christ took on human form at the incarnation. He was without sin. Our future existence after we die, if you're a believer, is not disembodied spirits haunting heaven. Our future is new bodies in a new physical cosmos. As we live in space and time in our bodies, we're to use these portable power plants to produce good for others and glory for God. So we can fall off the wall one direction when we diminish the importance of our bodies. Culture as a whole falls off the wall in the other direction when they worship the body. They make it everything. So what does physical faithfulness look like for you this year? And two warnings, beware pride, beware shame. Both of those are an over-focus on the body. Focus on faithfulness. 
Physical faithfulness is not just exercise and diet. It's sleep. It's Sabbath rest. It's habits good and bad. It's not just taking care of our body. It's using our bodies to bless others, using our bodies, our words, our actions, our engagement with people to bless them and to glorify God. And we'll talk about this more next week when we get to James and the use of the tongue for the glory of God and the good of others. But what does physical faithfulness look like for you this year? Physical faithfulness is the unblockable goal. Age, illness, outside factors can't block physical faithfulness. I told the story about a month ago about Jimmy Bosch, who had cerebral palsy, who would stand at the flagpole and hold himself there. That's all he could do. That was physical faithfulness. He was not physically fit, but he was physically faithful. Now, I know it seems subjective, but how do I know exactly what faithfulness looks like? It's a hard question, but it's the right question to ask ourselves. And so I encourage you, ask this question in conversation with a good friend or two and ask it in your time with God. What does it look like for me to be faithful with the use of my body this year? And then what Romans 12 says, keep presenting your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Maybe you want to take a few minutes this week to give your body over to God for his purposes. It doesn't belong to you. And if you give it to him and keep giving it to him, in that verse it means keep giving yourself to God as a living sacrifice, your body. You're going to be more easily, you're going to be more attuned to using your body, your mouth, your actions to bless people. And also, you're going to be more positioned to allow God to use your body in terms of health or lack of health as he sees fit. Mental faithfulness. My, my favorite quote from Martin Luther, you can't keep crows from flying over your head, you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And that's uh, an interesting way of really saying what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Sometimes we're under the illusion that if we have a thought and it seems right to us, then it is right. That's not always true. We must not automatically believe our thoughts or our emotions. How many times have you thought or felt something that turned out not to be true? And the second illusion is we can't help what we think. We can, over time, help what we think. Perhaps not in a moment, but we can change our thought processes over time. That's what Paul's saying here. And the fact is we have to learn to ID our ideas, just like a gate guard guarding a military installation. They, they say, show me your ID, and you show them your credentials. Do you belong in here or not? And we have to ID ideas that are coming into our heads. Do they belong in there? If not, we take them, we take them captive and make them obey Christ. You don't have the credentials to come in here. You're not in line with the truth of the gospel. We reject ideas that aren't true and don't let them nest in our heads. And this is a spiritual and a mental and a social and a physical process. It's complex, but it's doable. So mental faithfulness will look something like this, in case you're wondering, practically. You need to get more truth in here. If you're going to recognize good and bad thinking, you've got to get more truth in there. You just need to stay in Scripture, stay in community. You want to live with open and honest relationships so you can be correctable when you're thinking wrong. When you're convinced you're right and you're not, you need to be open and honest and in those kind of relationships. You need to continually humble yourself before the Lord. This is critical, the scripture says, to wise thinking about life. And then you need to be willing to do the hard work. Mental habits are built like every other good habit. Repetition over time. So buckle down and do hard work. Relational faithfulness. The great verse regarding this pillar is, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this is do all you can 
all you should to live at peace with people. It doesn't mean do anything you can do. It means do anything you should do in order to live at peace with people, have good relationships. You could compromise your own convictions sometimes to have peace, but you shouldn't. You could let others have their way, even if it's not good for them, but you shouldn't. So let's sum up relational faithfulness like this. Connection, yes. Compromise, no. And this means put the interests of others ahead of your own. Serve and don't seek to be served. Die to pettiness. Die to selfishness. Be like Christ. But how did Christ model servant greatness? Well, he forgave and died for those who abused him, but he would not compromise truth to please them. That's the great tension. So as you consider relational faithfulness this coming year, pay attention to the wind that blows in your life and lean into it. Is it the wind of peace at all costs? Even if that means putting people pleasing over pleasing Christ, then surely that's not faithfulness. Is it the wind of selfishness, seeking to please self in relationships? That's not faithfulness. Think about it. What does relational faithfulness look like for you this year? And then spiritual faithfulness. Again, we're not, we're not recipes, we're cakes. So all we've talked about to this point is in line with spiritual faithfulness. But I want to talk specifically about training for godliness. What does faithfulness in the area of spiritual disciplines look like for you this year? Let me say two things. First, the best plan is the one you'll actually do. Perfectionism is the enemy of directionism. Have a simple, sustainable plan and then work the plan. And one degree in the right direction is always more in line with faithfulness than no movement at all. Pray some, read the scripture some, worship, fellowship, keep showing up. If you do that, you can elaborate and do more. If you don't do that, then you're sort of stuck. And, that fo and to follow it up is live decided, not deciding. Just decide. Say, well, I can't do that. You, you, really, you actually can. When you get married, you put a ring on your finger and you decide. And then you don't get up the next day and the next day and go, I wonder if I'm going to stay married today. Hopefully you don't do that. What you do is you get up and say, I decided on this day. Now I just need to figure out how to live the decided life today. And you can do this in terms of walking with God. It's, it's not outside your capacity to do that. Decide, I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to fellowship. Then just do it. And you say, well, Terry, I don't want to turn my relationship with Christ into duty and box checking. Well, then don't. But do the good things that are necessary to grow spiritually. Guard your heart against checking box. But in the meantime, don't stop doing good and helpful things because you turn good and helpful things into box checking. So what do you hope for this year? This may sound complex. It may sound tiring. Man, four pillars. Man, that's tiring. It's it's New Year's morning. But I assure you, life will be more complex and more tiring and less joyful if you don't live with intentionality in these areas. You will not have an easier year if you say, I'm just not going to be intentional. That's too much work. A lack of intentionality will create enormous work in all these areas. So again, beware pride, beware shame, be faithful, be hopeful. Have furniture hopes. They're good, but build them on the one foundational hope. Some people have had their hopes dashed so often they've come to distrust hope itself. And when things that are important to us are taken, it can be terrible. I mean, when I call them furniture hopes, I don't mean to imply that those are meaningless, useless hopes. I mean, some of these furniture hopes are priceless heirlooms to, heirlooms to us. 
And when those are taken, we can become, feel devastation, sad, mad, but we need not be devastated. When our foundational hope is the gospel and our primary goal is faithfulness, we have a prevailing hope that can't be blocked. And don't get me wrong, when other lesser hopes are blocked, it's terrible. It can be terrible. But Paul said we're perplexed, but not undone. We're hard-pressed, but not crushed. So when these lesser hopes are taken, we're hard-pressed. But if our foundation is solid, then we're not crushed. And then here's our great hope. Faithfulness is our goal. But this year, even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. That's our great hope. Don't distrust hope. Hope in God. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Okay, kids, you ready to hear this for, this for this old guy to stop boring you? Okay, come on, Rodney. Hey, we're going to do the breaky, bouncy song. Is that next, Rodney? I hope it is. All right. So who remembers, if you're kids, who remembers the breaky, bouncy song? Let me raise your hand. Do you remember it? All right. You, you qualify as a kid, Kelly. Yes, good. All right. So how do you want to do it? Do you want to just? Is, if, if you know the actions, raise your hand if you would admit to knowing the actions. Nobody's going to admit it. Oh, does any teens want to come help? Come on, let's do it. It's New Year's Day. Let's go. All right, let's stand up. <laughs>